inspiration. I can do anything. Education. Let's do this. And application. Oh boy, this is going to be good. Welcome to Like It Matters Radio. Keeping us out of the water hazard with some truth therapy and teeing up solutions for today's big issues. Here's your life caddy, Mr. Scott B. Black. So welcome to the world of Mr. Black. Welcome to the world of Mr. Black. I am you. (laughs) No, I'm not. I'm me. And you are you. And the time is now for Like It Matters Radio. You know, ladies and gentlemen, that's the problem. Everybody's wanting to be somebody else. But I'm going to tell you today that there is nobody else for you to be like but you. You are unique. You are rare. You are one of a kind. And you could make that a good thing or you could make that a bad thing. See, this is what's great about life. We have choice. We have free will. We live in this thing called time. But we're not bound by time. We can step in and out of our timeline all the time. We momentarily, I mean, in a blink of an eye, we go from present to past. We go to past to future. We are in control of a lot more than we want to realize. And today in America, today in this world that we live in, circa 2023, we've given up our freedom, we've given up our power. We've given up so much. And today, I want you to ponder a few things. Today, I want to get that noodle, noodle work at the dog in. You know that. Today on Like It Matters Radio, I'm going to be questioning you. You know, wisdom tells us that asking the right questions will always lead to the right answers. I train leaders. Where are you at in your timeline? We've been given so much time and none of us know how much it is. We're somewhere on that timeline. Are you halfway through? Are you three quarters of the way through? Are you just getting started? Where are you on your timeline? Because we all have a past. We all have a present and we all have a future. Even if that future might be a couple of seconds or a couple of minutes. And today we're going to consider where are we on that timeline? How have you done so far? Are you on course? Are you proceeding as planned? Why does that matter? Because if you don't know where you're going, then any road will take you there. And since we're going to be focusing on your road, because it's your life, because it's your will. The next question is, Do you know where you're at on that road? And so today, I'm going to ask you the question, and I want you to really ponder the question. Are you finished yet? Why did Jesus fold the linen burial cloth after his resurrection? I'm going to share with you a story, and it's a powerful story. The Gospel of John 27 tells us that the napkin, which was placed over the face of Jesus, was not just thrown aside like the other grave clothes. The Bible takes an entire verse to tell us that the napkin was neatly folded and was placed at the head of that stony coffin. Early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, 
Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and I don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb to see. The other disciple outran Peter and got there first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noted the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying to the table. Now here is some explanation of what just took place. I believe this is from Eliot's commentary for English writers. He goes on to say, why is that important? Or he said, actually posed the question, was that important? And he goes on to say, absolutely, it, it is really significant. In order to understand the significance of the folded napkin, we need to understand a little bit about Hebrew tradition of that day. The folded napkin had to do with the master and servant. And every Jewish boy knew this tradition. When the servant set the dinner table for the master, he made sure that it was exactly the way the master wanted it. The table was furnished perfectly. And then the servant would wait just outside, out of sight until the master had finished eating. The servant would not dare touch the table until the master was finished. Now, if the master was finished eating, he would rise up from the table, wipe his fingers and his mouth, clean his beard, and wad up the napkin and toss it onto the table. The servant would then know to clear the table. For in those days, the wadded napkin meant, I'm finished. But if the master got up from the table, folded his napkin, and laid it beside his plate, the servant would not dare touch the table. Because the folded napkin meant, I'm coming back. Then he goes on to say, let us be reminded daily during this post-Easter season, Jesus Christ is not finished. He's coming back for his faithful servants within his church. Now, now that's a beautiful story. That is lovely. And it's not true. Now, the napkin fold and all that was true. But the part about Jewish history was not true at all. A matter of fact, uh, in uh, gotquestions.com, it goes on to say, many Bible commentators and authors have used this creative illustration to make a specific application to the resurrection and return of Jesus Christ. The truth is that table napkins such as we use today were not used in Jesus' day. Jews would do, uh, would do an after-meal hand washing as part of the eating ritual. Washing the hands before a meal was mandatory according to rabbinic injunction, but after washing their hands, did people dry them with a cloth? Apparently, there's no early rabbinic source that discusses how the hands were dried after washing them. The folding of the napkin as a sign that a dinner guest was finished may be good European custom, but it appears that this custom was unknown in the land of Israel in the time of Jesus. Now, why am I telling you that? Two reasons. Number one, I love a good Brazilian steakhouse. Uh, La Braza Boinaya. I can't remember the name. I can't say it. It's a it's a, a, a word I can't pronounce right now. Sorry, I'm a little brain dead. <laughs> but it's my favorite Brazilian steakhouse. It's no longer in existence. It's it's done. You had a little thing on your table. When it was red. You meant don't, but nobody comes by. When it's green, it meant you wanted more food. And you had these people, these men, that they had these meats on the sticks, grilling all different meats. And when it was green, they'd come by and slice. But I would spend two hours eating there. 
many times, probably at least twice, because I also have some drinks. I'd have to get up and go to the bathroom. And do you know what I would do to let them know I wasn't finished eating, I was going to come back? I would fold my napkin and put it on my table or over the back of my chair. Why am I saying this? Because we serve a God of the universe. We serve an omniscient God. God knows all things. And even though that was not the custom when Jesus did it, why not? Why couldn't have Jesus done it knowing that Scott Black in 2023 is going to be reading those words? Why wouldn't Jesus do it knowing that my friends and those who listen to my radio show are going to be reading that, that verse a couple thousand years afterwards? See, this is what we got to get when Peter was told by Jesus, go outside, drop a line in the water. And the first fish you catch, open it up, there'll be two coins in it. Pay the temple tax. How long in advance did God have to set that up? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It's plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans for hope in the future. God's got a plan for you. But do you have a plan for you? And does your plan line up with God's plan? And today, I'm posing the question, are you finished? Are you finished? Where are you at in this journey called life? Are you on course? Are you off course? Do you know why you're here? Do you know who you are? Do you know whose you are? Do you know why you get up each day, do what you do, go home at night, get up the next day, and do it again and again and again? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the time is now because you don't know how far along the way you really are. I'm Black. Be right back. Welcome to the world of Mr. Black. You've had a difference in your relationship with God, too. Tell me about that. Um, yeah, I was I was raised in a church, uh, and I kind of stepped away uh, in, in my adult life. And this class kind of brought me right back to, to my faith, and that's a huge huge part of my life that's just been missing and i just i I feel rejuvenated if that makes sense that you know knowing that god's walking right next to me every day every night you know he's right here for me and everyone else for that matter but he's here for for me right now and you have some peace don't you oh it's 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 really amazing sorry i'm going to get emotional but it's 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 amazing it's an amazing feeling inside my heart like it matters unique approach allows people to see hear and experience leadership in motion like it matters radio radio like it matters welcome back to like it matters radio radio like it matters inspiration education and application and today on like it matters radio I'm asking you a question. Are you finished yet? You know, it's one thing to leave the restaurant and go to the bathroom and you're not finished and see your entire table cleaned up. Could you imagine that? That you're not only a third of the way through what you wanted to eat, a half of the way through what you wanted to eat, you just had to go use the restroom and when you come back, everything was cleared away. That'd be a mess, wouldn't it? But what about our lives? See, we're given a certain amount of time. This week, we've been talking about this thing called time. We've been talking about what are you going to do with that time because we all exchange our time. It's called our life. We mortgage our life for a job, for a mission, for a purpose. And the Bible is pretty clear. It's appointed for man to die one time. 
and then comes the judgment. See, one thing that man has in common is we're all going to have a date with death. Let me give you a little asterisk here. Paul said some will not die. For those of us that are alive during the rapture, when Jesus Christ comes to get his church out of here, we will not experience the first death. And if we don't experience the first death, I can guarantee you we're not going to experience the second death. But, you know, life gets so busy and we forget. We get so busy going through from point A to point B. We get so busy avoiding the pain. We get so busy doing so much. But can I tell you the one commonality with every single human being is we're all going to find out we're mortal someday. And that's the massive question. Where are you at on our timeline? Where are you at on your ladder called success? What about the dreams and the, the, the ideas and the thoughts that you had when you were young and full of life and energy? Where are you at in relation to those? And if you are young and full of energy, why do you not have those dreams? You know, in our leadership training, I have people take a look at their life and I have them take a look at the life from many different perspectives because a leader's aware of the battlefield. And Dr. Covey had seven habits of highly effective people and one of them was beginning in mind. Most people have no idea what those seven habits of highly effective uh, people are. They might know them, they don't know what they mean. And one of the ones that people are really confused are on is this one, to begin with the end in mind. What does that mean? That means you go to the very end of your life and you create your life as you want it, but this time from your grave. And you think, if I was to die today, how would I want people to remember me? If I was to die today, what would I want my kids to say about me? If I was to die today, what would I want my spouse to say about me? If I was to die today, what do I want to hear from God as he looks upon me? But the problem is, we think we're going to live forever, that nothing ever changes, that today is going to be as yesterday, tomorrow will be as today. But the problem is, there comes a time when we're lying on our deathbed. It's a commonality for all people. Matter of fact, in my training, I have a song called The Dash of Your Life, and I have this little historical interlude that kind of talks over history of how we all meet the same fate one way or another. Uh, Spencer, go ahead and play that interlude, please. here today to reflect on the life of our good friend, this team member, spouse, parent, servant of God. The Bible says everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to live and a time to die. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Those of us who loved him and who take him to his rest today pray that what he was to us and what he wished for others will someday come to pass for all the world. I have a dream. That my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Three engines now at 104%. Challenger, go and throttle up. Challenger, go and throttle up. 
Today we've had a national tragedy. Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the sad part about everybody's voice you heard on there, except George Bush, and except possibly, possibly, the NASA commander who was on the radio talking back to the shuttle before it exploded. Everybody else that you heard is dead. Because planes crash and people die in a common destination for every single human being. And we're given so much time. And the reason I do this every once in a while is to slow you down. We get so busy. We get so busy doing so much stuff that we get lost. We don't know what we're supposed to be doing. We get outside of time. We're totally unaware of time. And remember this week we've been talking about time and how important it is. And we talked about time and that time has, has two Greek words, right? And the Greeks personified everything, right? They wanted to personalize everything. That's what the whole uh, pantheon's all about, giving man's qualities to, to godlike creatures, right? Remember, there's the two words. There's the kairos and the chronos. Remember, the kairos was personified as a, as a young man, lithe. Uh, you know, lithe, just so you know what it means, it means especially of a person's body, thin, subtle, graceful, bending readily, pliant, limber, subtle, flexible, like the little body, a lithe body of a ballerina. So if you think about that, so kairos was this young, good-looking, uh, flexible, angel-looking creature, handsome, beautiful. Statues of him could be found all across the Greek peninsula, but the most famous stood in now ruined Psycheon. It had the following epigram carved into it, and I'd like to know what words mean. So the meaning of epigram is a concise poem dealing pointedly and often satirically with a single thought or event, and often ending in an ingenious turn of thought. So here's what the epigram said. It was a conversation. Who and whence was the sculptor? And his name? Lysippos. And who are you? Time, who subdues all things. And why do you stand on tippy toes? For I am ever running. And why do you have a pair of wings on your feet? For I fly with the wind. And why do you hold a razor in your right hand? As a sign to men that I'm sharper than any sharp edge. And why does your hair hang over your face? For him who meets me to take me by the forelock. And why in heaven's name is the back of your head bald? Because none whom I have once raced by on my winged feet will now, though he wishes it sore, take hold of me from behind. Why did the artist fashion you? For your sake. I'll say it again, listener. For your sake, stranger. And he set me up in the porch as a lesson. Ladies and gentlemen, time flies. And if you're not in time, then time is passing you by. Remember, the ancient Greeks had two words for time. Kairos was the second. The first was chronos, which we still use in words like chronological and anachronism. It refers to clock time, time that can be measured, you know, seconds, minutes, hours, years. You know, this, this radio show is live on the radio. From 11 a.m. Central Standard Time to 12 noon. Now that is, if you chime in at 12:01 CST, you miss that Chronos. 
Now think about this. Where Kronos is quantitative, Kairos is qualitative. This is not just about how much time you get. This is what you got to get. What are you doing with your time? What is the value of your time? What is the quality of width of your time? That is really the essence of Kairos. It measures moments, not seconds. Further, it refers to the right moment, the opportune moment. This is why I say this all the time. The right words at the right time will change someone's life. That means at the right moment, at the opportune moment, you are building, you are feeding, you are encouraging right at that moment when that person most needs it because if they didn't get it there, they'd walk away. It's the perfect moment. The world takes a breath and in the pause before it exhales, Fates can be changed. In Christian theology, kairos is referred to extensively. Now, it means this ripeness. I love that word ripeness. To everything, there is a season, a time, kairos. To every purpose under the heaven, a time, kairos, to be born. A time, kairos, to die. A time, Kairos, to plant, and a time, Kairos, to pluck up that which is planted. Again, the story I found when I was looking at this word is so powerful. In 1985, a group of black South African theologians wrote a response to recent crackdowns by the apartheid government. It was called the Kairos document, and it began, the time has come, the moment of truth has arrived. It was a document of commitment, the realization that something had changed, the time has changed, the time was now. The time was ripe, the time was opportune, the time for change. Kairos, though, can also be a small moment in one person's life, ripe, ready, full, perfect. And in that moment, the time is now. And you cannot tell time unless you understand you have a timeline. And I'm gonna ask you today, where are you at on your timeline? Are you on course? Are you just where you're supposed to be? Or did you get off course? And the bigger question is this, are you finished? And I'm gonna tell you, till I take my last breath, I'm not finished yet. After the break, I'm gonna break it down for you. This is Scott Black of Like It Matters. As many of you know, I have been helping people to be the best they were created to be. COVID-19 has accelerated changes that I have been considering for some time now. Many more people need to receive the benefits of Leadership Awakening. Mental health in our communities is a real issue. We recently received our 501c3 nonprofit status with the emphasis of creating and delivering, taking back your power and your freedom to the least among us struggling with mental health issues. Please help us help others. You can save a marriage, save a business, or a life by supporting Like It Matters with your tax-deductible gifts. All gifts are needed, large, small, and everything in between. Please consider becoming a monthly partner at likeitmatters.net. Give today at likeitmatters.net. And by the way, Like It Matters Leadership Awakening classes will continue. Check out the schedule at likeitmatters.net as we build our training for those suffering from the challenges of poor mental health. God bless you. We are all in the construction business, constructing memories, relationships, new ideas, and a legacy that will outlive us. 
Life is best imagined as a construction project. Hey, can we get that backhoe over here? At Like It Matters, we craft tools and teach you how to use them. Mr. Black has a bevy of tools to help you build your life into your dream. One of those tools is individual life counseling. The best analogy is a life caddy, because sometimes you just need another set of eyes. A second tool, books by Mr. Black, always opening up your mind. Third, workshops, where we teach people how they work and how to function at a higher level. Nice job. That's it for today. Wrap it up. Contact Mr. Black at mr.black at likeitmatters.net. Building a better you today. Likeitmatters.net. Helping people live their lives like they matter. That's mr.black at likeitmatters.net. Discover the tools to build your relationships, your vision, and your life. Welcome back to Like It Matters Radio. Radio, Like It Matters, inspiration, education, and application. Today, I'm posing the question, are you done yet? This is why we need to have a definition of success. I always tell people, I share lots of pretty words and lots of nice definitions of success, but uh, it doesn't matter what Ralph Waldo Emerson said about success. It doesn't matter what Joe Biden says about success. It doesn't matter what Donald Trump says about success. What matters is what is your definition of success? Don't you see how important that is? See, this is why I talk about these things. This is not my leadership training, but what I created this radio show for uh, is to assist those that have been through my leadership training. My two and a half intensives will rock your world. It'll show you how God made you. It'll show you what's holding you back. It'll show you your potential. It'll clean up your heart. It'll uh, clean up your stinking thinking, resuscitate the heart, get you on fire for your passion, for your purpose, remind you what's really important. Because we get so busy in life that we forget. See, this is what the girl poem was. I read the girl poem the other day and people wonder, why did I read it to you? Because it's all about being so busy. And today, girls don't know if they're girls, and boys don't know if they're boys, and girls don't know what to, what to believe, and boys don't know what to believe. We're all confused. I'll read it again in case you forget. It's the girl poem for all you girls out there and all you guys who love the girls. She sat at the back, and they said she was shy. She led from the front, and they hated her pride. They asked her advice and then questioned her guidance. They branded her loud, then were shocked by her silence. When she shared no ambition, they said it was sad. So she told them her dreams and they said she was mad. They told her they'd listen, then covered their ears and gave her a hug whilst they laughed at her fears. And she listened to all of it thinking she should be the girl that they told her to be best as she could. But one day she asked what was best for herself instead of trying to please everyone else. So she walked to the forest and stood with the trees. She heard the wind whisper and dance with the leaves. And she spoke to the willow, the elm, and the pine. And she told them what she'd, do, what she'd been told time after time. She told them she felt she was never enough. She was either too little or far too much. Too loud or too quiet, too fierce or too weak. Too wise or too foolish, too bold or too meek. Then she found a small clearing surrounded by firs, and she stopped and she heard what the tree said to her. And she sat there for hours, not wanting to leave, for the forest said nothing. It just let her breathe. 
This girl was not done yet. But this girl is so tired of not matching up to other people's expectations. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And boy, people are busy about a lot of things. People are taking their kids to every sporting thing they can go. People are watching 28 channels of ESPN. So busy. And yet Jesus, when he walked this planet, he had one purpose, to be about the Father's business. You know why? Because he knew who he was. He knew why he was here. He knew his purpose from even, we know at 12 years old he knew it. Because when his family went to Jerusalem for the census, they left and it was two days later, they realized, where's Jesus? I thought you had Jesus. I thought you had Jesus. Oh my gosh, where's Jesus? Let's go back and get Jesus. You ever ask yourself that question, ladies and gentlemen? You should. You ever ponder the question in your life, where's Jesus? Where did I leave Jesus? I thought you had Jesus. I thought we had Jesus. I thought Jesus was part of our family. I thought Jesus was part of our entourage. See, the good book says, and I think it's Matthew 7, that in the end times, God's going to be separating the sheep and the goats. And many, the word's many. The word's not a few. The word's not some. The word's not a couple. The word is called many. Many would come to him and say, Lord, Lord. That's a humbling term. That means you put him above. That's your Lord, my Lord. And he will say, I never knew you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no. Oh, oh, Jesus, you knew me. Remember? Remember, I did all this stuff for you. Remember? Workspace. Listen to Workspace. I did all that stuff for you, Jesus. I checked all the boxes. I did all the religious stuff. I lit the candles. I paid the tithe. I showed up on Sunday and Tuesday and Wednesday every other week. He said, I never knew you. You did all kinds of stuff for him, you thought, but he never knew you. See, we get so busy. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. We get so confused. We're so wrapped up in wanting to fit in with a broken world that we don't know who we are. And ladies and gentlemen, we're all broken. Embrace it. I'm broken. I'm flawed. Embrace it. I mean, one thing I learned a long time ago, God uses broken things. I mean, oh my gosh, let's be honest. I mean, I'll be a little facetious, but you know the story of Moses, I mean, Noah, right? No, he lands on earth after, you know, uh, whatever it was, a year on the ark. And he got drunk. And then Ham embarrassed him. And then there's the curse of Canaan, right? That's why Jews don't like pork. It's the curse of Ham. Oh, man. I missed it, man. You missed it. Hold on. Let me do that again. That's why Jews don't like pork. It's the curse of Ham. Ta da. <laughs> right? Is that what it is? Huh? 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 Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was fear-based. Samson was a womanizer. Couldn't take care of his own hygiene. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah, Timothy, way too young. David was a murderer and adulterer. Elijah was suicidal, depressed. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a, a bitter widow. Job went bankrupt, lost it all. John the Baptist ate bugs and walked around with uh, camel's hair. Peter denied Christ three times, cursed him. 
Disciples fell asleep while praying. Three times couldn't even stay awake. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene, well, you know. Samaritan woman was divorced more than one than sleeping with another man. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. Lazarus was dead. Come on. Are you finished yet? Where are you at on your timeline? These are words I penned years ago. I know of a man who stood to speak at a gathering of family and friends. He spoke of a friend no longer here, not long ago had been. In a box at the front of the room, his friend does lay his final bed, tears flowing, speaking words of wisdom, and this is what he said. There's the date of our birth and the day that we die. The space between our dash of life does lie. The way that we live on this earth, this becomes our dash. When you live your life like it matters, it matters not the cars, the house, the cash. Think about that. Are there things you'd like to change? The time is now. You could be at the end or mid-dash range. You can't control the length of your dash. This is for God to divine. The width, intensity, this is yours. No butt prints in the sands of time. What will you do today? Every day is like a ticking clock. How did you spend your time before your time in the box? When your eulogy is written, life's actions rehashed, it's okay to be proud of things they say about how you spent your dash. And this is what you got to figure out. Who are you? Why are you here? Because if you don't know that, it's going to be a mess. I got this article, Howie Mandel opens up to Joe Rogan about ongoing depression. He says, I'm a blank effing mess. The America's Got Talent judge says stand-up comedy helped to dis distract him from depressive thoughts. Comedian America's Got Talent judge Howie Mandel was blunt about his struggles with anxiety and depression during an appearance on the Joe Rogan Experience. Mandel surprised Rogan by revealing he wasn't happy despite finding success, a great support system, and taking medication. He says, I'm an effing mess, he confessed. When I hear about a person like you that doesn't feel well, that gets depressed, I think, gosh darn it. Now, that's not what Joe said. When he's around people, he seems so happy, the podcast host responded. Mandel admitted that he found staying busy. See, listen, sound staying busy and talking to others kept him distracted from the negative emotions. But here's the problem. It keeps you distracted from everything. Life is an undulating line, and we live in denial. See, life has peaks and valleys, highs and lows. And what Howie Mandel told you is the devil's wild. He said Mandel admitted that he found staying busy and talking to others kept him distracted from the negative emotion, but he struggled when he was done. See, it doesn't fix anything. It doesn't get rid of anything. It's a Band-Aid. And the problem is these Band-Aids have been there since we've been five and six years old. The majority of our map of reality is put in place by the time we're five years old. We have trauma. We have drama. We recreate limiting belief systems. We accept lies that have been told to us over time, and we make them the truth. And the problem is that everything we do not do is driven by a belief system. And if you believe you're not worthy, if you believe you suck, if you believe you have no value, if you believe you're not enough, if you believe that you can't do anything different, if you believe that you don't matter, then how do you think you're going to live? And so today, I'm going to tell you, you're not finished yet. You have the great up until now. 
you have the ability to change your thinking. Between the stimulus and the response, there is a space. And in that space is our power. It is our freedom. You've been giving away your power, your freedom too long. The time is now. You're not finished yet. Today can be a new beginning. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. What are you going to do about it? And if God willing, Dale Valente, if God willing, you get tomorrow, then tomorrow becomes the first day of the rest of your life. And I'm going to ask you, are you finished yet? And I want you to get stirred up because you're not a mistake. You're not an accident. All your trauma, all your drama can be used for his glory and your good if you realize that you're not finished yet. Neither am I. We'll be When I attended the Leadership Awakening workshop, I didn't know what to expect, but I was open. The tools taught at Leadership Awakening helped me discover things about myself that were holding me back from being all God created me to be. Providential? That word coins these life-changing classes because I now realize there are works God has already created for me to walk in, and these workshops helped me to see this more clearly. I received practical insights that I am already applying to be a more focused businesswoman, influential mom to my two teenagers, an eight-and-a-half-year-old son, and patient and passionate wife. I got rid of a lot of clutter in my head. BS, they call it, belief systems that were not serving me. If you want to know what it means to empower others instead of trying to control them, if you want to build a productive team in two days, if you want to press the reset button in your life and give yourself a fresh new beginning, then do yourself and your family a favor and attend the next Leadership Awakening. It's time the giant in you comes alive. Leadership Awakening is coming to a location near you. Details at likeitmatters.net. That's likeitmatters.net. Welcome back to Like It Matters Radio. Radio Like It Matters. Inspiration, education, and application. I love hearing from my listeners. And my listener tell me, boy, you are on fire. I'm stirred up. I'm having an Esther moment, man. I know why I'm here. I was created for a time such as this. But I'm going to tell you something right now. So are you. Our God's omniscient means perfect knowledge. He can learn nothing. God knows where you're at. In Isaiah 6, 2, God, Isaiah saw the throne room of God. He said there was, there was cherubim all around him with six wings. And any normal person says, why would a cherubim have six wings? Why? Because God creates his creatures to be effective in the environment he's going to put them in. God knew he was going to put the cherubim in his presence. So I needed two wings on those cherubim to cover their eyes so because they could not look at God's Shekinah glory. They had to have two more wings to cover their feet because feet were their creaturehood. They were created beings, and the feet represent their creaturehood. They're dirty. They're unholy. Cover your feet. Take off your shoes. And, of course, everybody knows what. how can an angel fly without two wings? So that's why they have six wings. See, God knows your environment. God knew from the beginning of time what environment you would be in. God knew that the end was coming now. God wrote about it thousands of years ago. We've been reading about it for thousands of years. It's here now. But what happens in life, the devil gets us so busy. We get so tied down in the temporal that we forget the eternal. I don't know if you've ever read the book by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Screwtape Letters. Uh, it's it's very creative. What C.S. Lewis did, he brought light to the spirit world in a unique way. He he used wisdom and creativity and basic Bible knowledge and created a glimpse into the spirit world and into the wiles of the devil. Screwtape, who's in charge, had devilish conceit. 
He was instructing his nephew, a young devil named Wormwood, in the fight art of temptation. You know, the boiling frog concept. And all devils, all demons, all Elohim are assigned to a particular person. Their job is to keep their subject, that person, from the enemy. And who's the enemy? Yahweh, El Elyon, the Lord Most High. The enemy of the dark angels, the fallen Elohim, or the enemies, are the enemies of God. And so in one passage, Screwtape had just finished telling Wormwood how to draw his subject gently, almost imperceptibly, away from the right path. And in the the end of this letter is so powerful. Here's how he ends this letter to Wormwood. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their accumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. So powerful. Ladies and gentlemen, I see it all over. People are comfortably going to hell. People are comfortably going to divorce court. People are comfortably going to a life of lasciviousness. People are comfortably going through a life of insignificance. Are you okay with that? Do you think that you can't change? Do you think this is your lot in life? And as Jesus said to Peter, behind me, Satan, because that's not true at all. You can do this. See, here's the problem. You got these programs running. They've been in there since five, six, seven years old. Maybe at 12 years old, someone molested you or abused you. Maybe at 16 years old, someone told you they love you so they can get something they wanted from you. Maybe at 21 years old, you stood on the altar and you said, I do, and you found out the other person didn't. Maybe you, st- you said, someone said, trust me, and you wish you never did. Maybe when you were younger, people that were supposed to support you were abusing you. Maybe when you were younger, people that were supposed to be taking care of you were causing conflict and pain and all kinds of other dark stuff. And you created a belief system about yourself, about life, about world. When was the last time you revisited that belief system? So we got these programs playing over and over and over. And what we believe is what we listen to most often. And so you gotta interrupt the program in other words, you got to scratch those CDs. you got to break those LPs. you got to pull on that 8-track because some of you, it's been playing a lot longer. you got to dr- grab a hold of the big up until now. you got to believe that you can create a concept of there's a new sheriff in town, a new you, a better you. Man, your wife deserves a better husband. Not a different husband, but you as a better man, a better father, a better son of God, a better warrior, a better leader, a better conduit. This is the key. Look at the world we're living in. It is dark. I just saw this news today. A female runner who beat 14,000 women at London Marathon offers to give medal back. Glenique Frank, a transgender woman who ran the London Marathon in the female category, offered to give her medal back after controversy stirred when she beat 14,000 women in the race. Quote, Frank sparked criticism after she, it's a he, after she appeared in a BBC interview and gushed about becoming a grandmother. So this guy just became a woman in his senior years because he just became a 
grandmother, and we all know he's a grandfather. Now, how screwed up are those grandkids going to be? Hey, this is your grandmother who's really your grandfather, but your grandmother. She told the New York Post that the London Marathon was the first race she was able to pick her own name and gender. Several other races she plans on running need her name and gender given on her passport, including New York City, Tokyo, and Boston. Don't worry, New York City and Boston won't be far behind. This is the world we live in. Here you got someone like uh, J.K. Rowling, who's totally liberal. Well, I like Harry Potter, but I'm not a big fan of J.K. Rowling. But now the left, the liberals hate J.K. Rowling because she says science. She's speaking science. Remember what Biden kept telling us? Follow science, follow science. He meant political science. Dr. Fauci followed the money science. This is about money science and political science, not real science. Legendary author Judy Bloom was forced to issue a clarifying statement on Sunday after she offered public support for her friend, J.K. Rowling. In an interview with the Sunday Times, Bloom, whose books have reportedly sold more than So she's in the world. And if she wants the world to like her, she's got to walk on eggshells. See, she knows she gets her money from the world, so she's got to play the world's game. So she sold 90 million copies. That's a lot of worldly money. Explain that she 100% stands behind J.K. Rowling, who is repeatedly targeted for believing that trans agenda erodes women's rights. I love her, Bloom told the news outlet. I'm behind her 100% as I watch from afar. Bloom later characterized Rowling as a victory of Twitter because people believe what they read on Twitter, whatever you actually said. The comments led to online outrage and accusation that she's a turf which stands for trans-exclusionary radical feminists. Trans activists use the term in a derogatory manner to describe women who do not support the trans agenda. But why is what is Bloom saying now? The 85-year-old author released a statement that declared unequivocally support for the trans community and claimed the Sunday Times took her comments out of context. So she's no longer her friend because that would affect her bank account. And she knows what world she's from. How about this one? People are so angry now. Arizona... Uh, airport assault woman reportedly attacked injured tsa agent because they took away her apple juice a woman who assaulted three tsa agents and upended travel for 450 passengers on tuesday is accused of attacking the security officials after ready what they did they took her apple juice now of course you'll never hear this but majority of these articles 90 percent of them are, are black people have committed them but you'll never hear anything about race if it's a black person Unless it somehow feeds the narrative. Remember, it is the slight of narrative. They are programming you. It's manipulation. Micaiah Coleman, 19, was arrested at Phoenix Sky Airport, charged with assault, criminal damage, offense against public officials. 6 a.m. Why? They want to take her juice away. And they took her juice away because she was a black woman. They just, they treat black people bad. Illinois' parents charged after allegedly encouraging daughters to beat up classmates. Mom and dad walked around, found out this little kid, and had her their two teenage girls beat up this other girl, encouraging them. Again, black people attacking. We don't know what the race of the people attacked are because they won't tell you. And when they don't tell you, it's because it's against the narrative. I promise you, if those were two white kids and two white parents that encouraged their kids to attack a black kid... You would have four arrests right now for hate crimes. But because the narrative is different, you won't even hear about it. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to know who you are. I am from the tribe of Issachar. The thing about Issachar, they knew what time it was. They're some of uh, David's greatest warriors. And ladies and gentlemen, do you know what time it is? 
The time is now to begin anew. I don't care where you're at in life. You can start new. Go to likeitmatters.net. Go to your local radio station, talk radio station, and ask them, hey, why aren't you playing Like It Matters Radio? We're now available on satellite. Call your local radio stations. Help us spread the word. I'm a cultural warrior. The battle's in the mind. The battle's in the heart. Those are the two things I deal with, the heart and minds of people. That's the key, ladies and gentlemen. You're not finished yet, so you must act like you're not finished yet. You're under construction on the Like It Matters radio network. I am Mr. Black, helping you become more hopeful about your future, reminding you, when you live your life like it matters, it does. You have been listening to Mr. Black, master trainer for Like It Matters. Please find us on Facebook by searching LIM Radio. Make sure to follow us, like our posts, and share with others. Also, search YouTube for Like It Matters. Be sure to like and subscribe to our channel. And for more information on how we can help you live life like it matters, go to likeitmatters.net where you can find more information on our transformational training, our life coaching, counseling, our radio show, and other ways we help you continue the journey of living life like it matters.